0: Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, where we bring you boots-on-the-ground perspectives from construction business owners and industry experts about their successes, challenges, and whatever else is on their minds. Consider them your own personal mentors on technology implementation, equipment solutions, business management, and more, enabling you to apply their expertise to your business. Held every three years in Las Vegas, ConExpo ConAg is North America's largest construction trade show. For even more ways to connect with the industry, visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect. We've got another great guest on the show today, so let's dig in.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Contractor Conversations on ConExpo ConAg Radio. I'm your host, Missy Sherber. Joining us today is Kevin Gray, president of ADC Paving based in Louisville, Kentucky. Kevin's paving and seal coating company has experienced exceptional growth over the past several years, thanks to his implementation of detailed operational processes and plans. Today, we'll be talking about getting your office and crew in order to jumpstart your economic engine. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Connex ConAg Radio. We're very excited to have you. I know our guests will love hearing from you. So thanks for taking time. You're a busy guy.
2: (laughs) I'm a busy guy. Well, it's that time of the year in the ind- in any construction industry, right? It's August. It's crunch time, and I know we've tried to do this a couple times before. And it's just fortunate, I guess. I mean, we've we've been we've been humping all year, so good. So so good to be here. Like this is this is an amazing opportunity, and means a lot for you guys to ask uh, me to join you guys today. So super pumped to be here.
1: Well, the pleasure is ours. We're excited to dive into your story. I think there's so many elements of your company and you as a leader that our audience can connect with. So before we get too deep into the interview that I'm very excited to do, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you, how you got into this industry, your role today at your company, because you might be new to some of the audience out there.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, I've been uh, since 2021. My wife and I purchased this company in 2011. My wife's grandfather started this business in 1959. He passed away in 1980, uh, at a young age. Um, and then my wife's aunt and uncle took over the business from 1980 to 2011. When we came in and, you know, 2000, you know, we went through the, you know, awful recession in 2000, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, all the way it went into the early teens there also. And, uh, you know, 2007, eight, my wife's aunt was going through some very challenging times with the business. Uh, her husband's health, uh, he was helping run the business. His health was kind of declining. Her health wasn't uh, in great shape. She'd been through, you know, several back surgeries. So she wasn't able to, to manage, you know, get out in the field and watch kind of the crews either. So it, uh, you know, 2007, eight, nine, like they were really struggling almost to the point where they were considering, you know, uh, declaring bankruptcy and closing the doors on this, wow. you know, almost 50 year old company business. And she, uh, my wife aunt went and spoke with my father-in-law who was her brother. And was like, you know, Hey, what, what do I need to do here? What can we do? Is this salvageable? Um, can we save it? How can I sell it? How can I, you know, I'm not, I'm gonna lose my house. I'm gonna lose everything. Uh, you know, this company, it, it had historically up to that point, you know, when they had, it had been doing, Five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue, and you know seven, eight, uh, even into nine. They were down, you know, doing three, four hundred thousand bucks, just trying to figure out how to pay the bills and yeah. lo- losing oversight of the company, and and almost to the point where they had to bail out. And my father-in-law brought this opportunity to myself and my wife, and said. You know, I think there may be some meat uh, on the bone here left if you guys would be interested in taking (laughs) out a small business loan and buying this thing. So yeah, I spent, I spent a lot of time in 2009 and 10 with my wife's aunt, just kind of getting involved with the business, doing some sales, getting familiar with the crews, their processes, just the industry in general. Now I grew up, I I was uh, out of college. I graduated college in 03. So I was doing commercial insurance for Wells Fargo out of college and then um, 2007 to 12, I was actually the executive director of the Kentucky Masonry Institute here in Louisville for the state of Kentucky and Indiana. But my dad, um, my dad was in the heavy highway industry f- for the majority of his career, doing uh, you know state and federal projects with the guardrail company and you know concrete and asphalt companies, and then got into the association management side with the Highway Contractors Association and the um, Crushed Stone Association here in Kentucky. So I'd been around the industry.
1: Got it. Got it. All
2: all of my life growing up. And I'd been to several meetings and conventions with my dad and kind of always had a respect and admiration for the folks in this pavement industry. Something I'd always kind of had an interest in, but never, never really thought, you know, I would I would own my own paving business at one point. You know, I kind of kind of grew up with that mentality of, you know, you go go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a degree. Get a good job, but there was always something inside of me that it was kind of always pulling it like my entrepreneurial uh, strings a little bit. I kind of wanted to do my own thing. I just never knew what that may be. And so, uh, so when this opportunity presented itself, we we took a leap of faith on a on a dying business, basically. You know, one that one that was very near and dear to my wife. Um, She she had a very uh, although it was very short lived. um, She had a very close bond with her grandfather who founded the company and, um, you know, didn't want to see anything happen to us. So that's pretty amazing.
1: I, you took yeah. a leap of faith on a dying business in dying. a not great time in the economy. So,
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Tell yeah. me, you know, and I I can relate to that in a sense, because Trevor tells me the story of when he started the dumpster company, when the economy <laughs> just took a tank and everyone's like, right. you're crazy, don't do yeah. it. Out. So tell me what those conversations look like as you're thinking about this entrepreneurial bug you've got, you know, yep. you're looking uh-huh. at a dying business, what were you thinking? Like, I just want to dive into that a little bit. Like, what were the conversations like with your wife? You know, it was more than just the family business. There had to be more yeah. in you that was like, okay, let's do this. Yeah.
2: yeah. Because I, you know, I didn't have any sentimental, you know, connection to this right. business. Say. It was more of, it was more of just an internal drive. Now. I mean, she, she, she was hopeful that we would buy and you know, we took out $125,000 SBA loan and that's, that's what it took to buy a bunch of antiquated equipments. So, I mean, broken down <laughs> um, junk basically. And, um, and a crew full of guys that you're lucky if they'd show up, you know, not under the influence yeah. the next week. so So, um, but you know, sh- she was hopeful we could do something with it just to not see the business go away. And I, you know, like I said, I got involved in 2009 and 10 Kind of got close to her aunt, like she really kind of took me under her wing the best mm-hmm. she could, you know, and showing me her ways of how they had ran the business, uh, their practices, their procedures, and um, you know, sport, uh, my wife's cousin down in Atlanta owns a very successful paving operation, Athens Atlanta Asphalt. I went down and spent some time with him in in two thousand nine and ten, and he showed me what it could look like, you know, and it. and I, it it really it really was just that leap of faith. And I think most entrepreneurs have that um, at some point and most have it on a pretty regular basis and we're we're risk takers. Right. And yeah, it just felt right. Like something that was my gut. I finally had like a sense of like, this can be mine. This can be ours. I can be in control of my own destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to go to work for, you know, you, you think at that age, I was, you know, in my, in my late twenties at that point, I was like, Oh, this will be easy. I can, I can go play golf whenever I want. You know, some <laughs> of that, some of that was a little misleading. You know, I thought yeah. on you know, your own business it's going to get easy and <laughs> sit back and collect checks. Um, but no, it, it, it was a huge risk, uh, in, in the recession, my, like my parents who are super safe and conservative, um, you know, like I said my dad was in the association management side my mom was a school teacher and you know they were they were like you're they were I mean they were very disapproving of of this decision you know I gave mm-hmm. up a great career to take this leap of faith and I mean they it it took them four or five years of us and me you know me owning this business to finally say we're proud of you and Oh my gosh, I can't believe how successful you've become. Like,
1: yeah, they hated it.
2: I mean, they were, they were mad. I mean, they were angry at almost the point we weren't speaking because they thought I'd lost my mind.
1: Yeah. Isn't that interesting, too? It's like you can see it and it feels so real and so tangible, but those around you can tend to think, you know, I experienced the same with my family when they're like, you're quitting your dream job to run a dumpster company for this guy that drives a Peterbilt.
2: What? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Exactly.
1: I said, I am, please still I talk am. to me. <laughs>
2: yeah, like You're going you're gonna to put down the suit and tie and go lay blacktop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's I crazy, am. but it felt, so yours was a gut move. It was a leap of faith. You did. Yeah. It sounds like get advisory and you had some other companies there you saw where you could have a vision for what the future could look like. So yes. tell me you took the leap of faith in. was it 2011 you said?
2: Yeah, July really? of 2011, we we closed the paperwork with the bank and got the got, and they had a hard time doing the loan because the financials, the past you know the years leading up to that were were terrible. I mean, bleeding money, like yeah. ble- And the equipment was um, that's the only reason we got the loan because they they could at least put a hundred thousand dollars worth of value to this equipment we were buying, and it was got it. But it was, I mean, it, knowing what I know today, it probably wasn't worth fifty. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it was an established company in the community. Um, you know, there was a reason it had been in business, you know, stayed in business 50 years. It, le- yeah. it had a decent reputation. So we thought, you know, we're like, there's, you know, we've got 50 years in the, in the community, people at least know the name. We can do something. We can do yeah. something.
1: So 10 years later, you and your wife running ADC paving. How's it going?
2: It's going amazing. It's you know, I, I say that it's, it's been a journey. It's been, I mean, I've got stories. We could sit here and talk for hours about, you know, you, you go from taking over, you know, basically being new to the industry not having a clue what I'm doing and buying a basically junk and a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys, I always just say that the convicts were running, um, the prison. Basically it wasn't the warden. Um, so those first few years were challenging. I mean, super challenging. And I thought I was learning stuff and getting better, but I was, I was pretty much being misled and getting bad information even from the people on, you know, in our company, because I didn't really know any better. Yeah. uh, And I know you
1: guys are doing so well now. So those first few years were difficult. And I think it's great for young small business owners to hear that because I think they see Instagram and, and all of our pictures and our fleet. And it's like, wow. And it's like, whoa, like those first five to 10 years were a struggle. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. People, you know, people see that stuff. And it's, uh, you know, of course, you know, it's Instagram, social media, you're only probably going to see the best. Mm-hmm. Stuff right, and, and then people get misled that you know either this is easy or they got lucky or they were a trust fund, like somehow they got lucky to get where they're at today, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, it's it has been a grind. I mean, we're still I mean, grind every day now, like it's yeah. it's it's always evolving, like it's on to the next you know issue or pattern of growth or new system we want to implement. It's always something,
1: yeah,
2: um, and but it's and grown I think,
1: successfully.
2: It has. And, you know, something, you know, we talk about things that young, young entrepreneurs, leaders, business owners, you know, starting out, uh, and I, I certainly got blinded by it. You know, this company was doing about half a million when we bought it, like I said, and I said, 2000, 2012, you know, my first full season operating system, I was going to say, we're going to do a million bucks. Like we're going to, we're going to do For some reason. I thought hitting that seven figure mark would mean something. And we did. We went from half a million in 2011 to 1.2 million in 2012 and we lost our ass. I mean, it was uncomfortable. I mean, it was, yeah, we hit the revenue goal, but I, I didn't even know what profit margin was at that, right? Yep, so yep. you get blinded by the by the top line and you forget about the bottom line. Yes. So yeah, we hit the goal, but it wasn't pretty. It wasn't fun. Uh, it was stressful. So
1: you can do two, what we learned, you can do 2 million in sales and make no money.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm,
1: when, I, when we had that reached that point, I was like, what, how is this yeah. possible? Yeah. It's called your expenses and your overhead and yeah. your profit margin and watching every yeah. line. These are things you learn, right. As you, yeah. as you go. Yeah. So that's interesting that right off the bat.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's I a good you know, I message
1: to get out there. It's the truth, right? It's the truth it as a business owner, I didn't what you know,
2: learn. I, you know, I just, we were out there just collecting checks and putting them in the bank. So I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to be a millionaire. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, you get, you get to December. It's like, where's, where's all the money? I'm broke. Where'd the, where the money go? How am I going to make it to March when we can get back to producing revenue? Yeah. Borrowing money every winter just to survive.
1: Yeah. So yeah. how did you get it from that point to now 10 years later? Um, tell me quick, what are you running? You've got how many crews going, you know, the fleet is not the same fleet as it was 10 years ago.
2: Right, right. So we, we currently operate uh, with, I'll call it four crews. So we've got, we've got two crews we operate on the seal coating side. And then, you know, our, our, and that's, that's probably 20% of our business. And then our, our paving side's, of makes up the other 80 you know between so we've got a prep crew and then a paving crew that runs you know that paving operation side of the business and then we've got uh four you know there's 4 triaxle dump trucks a bunch of trailers couple pavers skid steers four or five rollers you know we've just awesome. At this point in time, it's all nice. So like I I went, <laughs> this is another, another biggie for the young, young cats out there, young guys and gals. It's like, uh, I went through a period where I thought I was doing good, you know, buying, finding good used equipment and, you know, that's a good deal. But, um, I, I have, I have found that, buying used equipment is typically not there's usually a reason someone's selling that piece of equipment right mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um and, and that's why our stuff looks good now like i'll, I'll only buy new um yep. because i want i don't care you know it's you're gonna pay probably three times as much as you could for a used one but you know you're getting the warranty you're getting the service from the dealership right. getting those right. relationships and it's uh, it makes a world of difference when you're when you've got to be efficient and productive every single day
1: Absolutely. So you've grown to that many crews and I want to eventually kind of talk about your operations and your processes with your staff. But first I want to hit like the state of the industry, you know, um, for the paving industry, your company recently conducted a contractor survey and released a report on the state of the paving industry. What were the biggest takeaways from those results and perspective and what's your pulse on how your peers are feeling about the future?
2: Well, (sighs) I, t- I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, our, unfortunately our industry, from what I've gathered in my time in it and what, you know, what I've learned and the people we associate with, I mean, you, you kind of know the the circle that we run with you're mm-hmm. included. In also, I mean, I, I feel, I feel like there's still, I don't know, 70, 80% of our industry that still kind of operates uh, just on, the, on the good old boy, um, kind of resting on your laurels fashion, you know, kind of flying by the seat of their pants type of way. And I, which is unfortunate, but I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful with some of the momentum we're we're gaining, you know, with stuff we're doing with like top contractor school and, and, you know, social media has been huge in, in some of us uh, contractors who are trying to do things differently and evolve the industry, get together, stay together, and, and creating a movement for all of us. I mean, the, The whole concept behind Top Contractor School and some of the stuff we're doing with these with these groups is is obviously to help our own respective independent businesses. But it's we want to see this industry thrive. I mean, we want this industry to be respected and well known and taken seriously and and have a good name for generations and if forever. Absolutely. we, We all take a great amount of pride in what we do. We take a great amount of pride in our businesses in our people, um, and our customers. And we, you know, we, we were hopeful that, that the entire industry can, can become like that one day. I mean, you're not ever going to get everybody, yeah. Um, yep. but it, you know, it, it benefits us all when, when people say, you know, you know, paving blacktop, seal coating, whatever, you know, concrete, whatever is is you're doing, you know, it's, it's a, it's a neat process. It's a cool process. It's a, it's, it has value. Um, these guys are skilled. They're craftsmen. Their trade is awesome. Like you get, people engaged and encouraged to use those products. I mean, we're all going to get a bigger piece of that pie. So, and that, you know, that's that's kind of what we found with these reports. And it's, you know, the, the people that we were able to, to get signed up to, uh, I think we had 20, it's the first year we've done I think we had 25 people fill out the survey and send us information back. Yep. We've already interviewed four or five of those folks. We've got another few more we'd like to do. But the general consensus is that, at least the folks we're talking to are, are, are starting to implement, uh, kind of put the old ways behind a little bit, and are you know investing in technology, investing in culture, investing in training, investing in the equipment, and 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 at the base of all of that, the number one goal, obviously. Um, Aside from you know, hopefully helping your own business, creating a better you know production profit margins, whatever is, is giving customers the absolute best experience that they can possibly have. Mm-hmm. I mean, but when we talk about our experience from when people call our office for the first time until we're collecting the check, I mean, we almost want it to be as simple and smooth as shopping used to be on Amazon.
1: It's, yeah, it's,
2: <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good it's example. debatable uh, the operations of that. You know, company right now. Needless to say, but you know, we we want people to be wowed by what by what we are able to give them.
1: Yeah, and that's
2: it's not just being able to go out and lay blacktop. It's it's all the way through the process.
1: I love Um, that you're bringing this up because I do think that was one of the first things I noticed when I took over the excavating side of the company, uh and even the dumpsters was where's the customer experience Mm. here? Oh well, no one does that. Well, yeah. Why? I mean, their customers paying us money. Yeah. Um, I couldn't believe how out of touch, you know, our industry, the dirt, at least industry was yeah. with. customer experience and customer service. Now, I came from a world where that was a no-brainer. I mean, in retail and corporate and insurance (laughs) and banking, that is the the Bible, right? But in construction, it's not. And so uh, it's exciting to hear that that is one of the things that you and the contractors you surveyed took yeah. away was part of the way we make our industry better and more exciting for the community is customer experience is just yeah. being awesome at that like why wouldn't we yeah. um so that's had to have paid off for you in dividends just you you know in something like asphalt and paving yeah. or for us in dirt and dumpsters exactly that it's you're not real glamorous, adding right <laughs> no but that yeah, you're adding right. innovation customer experience um how have your customers responded to that you know, versus their previous experiences.
2: I mean, it's, it's, cr- I mean, they've been wild and I, and I would, I would say, you know, I'm 10 years in we didn't start getting really good at that until just, you know, even just a couple of years ago. I mean, that, yeah, that was kind of, we were so focused, um, you know, the first four or five years were, I mean, they were just a blur. We were just growing pains. I don't, I, I don't even know what happened to be honest. <laughs> it's it just, it just messy. It's just messy. And then, you know, just through some, some very, amazing mentorship uh here locally and and finding some great guys within the industry through social media we took we took you know the next few years after those first five and really started working on culture you know you know getting getting the right kind of people getting the right kind of culture established and then you know the last the last couple years has really turned into this customer experience aspect of it it's like Mm -hmm. man there's And like you said, I mean, we're in, in, you know, dump the dumpster business that, you know, dirt work, uh, blacktop, gravel. I mean, it's not glamorous. It's not pretty. So I I really feel like most of our competition uh, currently and in the past have always been, hey, it's it's rock, tar and sand. You get what you get and this is what it is. And I'm sorry Mm -hmm. that you don't like it, but can you please pay us now? And it's like, no, like Mm -hmm. these people, I mean. Go impress these people. Have mm-hmm. these people look at their new parking lot or driveway and be like, "Oh my gosh, I never, I never thought it could look this good." Oh, and by the way, the person that answered the phone was awesome. Your salesperson was very thorough and knowledgeable and educated us on the front end, yeah. uh, the communication during the scheduling process, um, the the site maps. You know, we want to we want to make this as simple as possible for the customer that they're well informed, that they have all the information. And that the ease of buying is, I mean, it's simple. I mean, we, I don't know how many projects we've, it's probably over 50% of them. People are like, we can't get anybody to even call us back. Or we get a proposal and it's on a napkin. And it's like, what in the, it's, it's crazy. Um, (laughs) If they
1: even get a proposal. One of the things uh, my father-in-law really grinded on us when we first started is you've got to have someone answering the phone. Yeah, And if you can't answer the phone someone's that you spend whatever you gotta spend of someone who sits there and all they do is answer the phone. And I'm like, but we get like four calls a day. He's like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, cause you right. know, if I'm in the field, if Trevor's in the field and you wouldn't think that little thing really makes a huge impact in this industry because it hasn't been the standard. So you are really working hard to set the standard high. Uh, yeah. We're doing the same and, and it does make a difference. The customers do notice. And I think that's an important message to get out there on this, on this episode is customers do notice your yeah. team notices your higher yeah. standards yes. you know like it Absolutely. let's raise the standard will your competitors come up and try to match for sure but you were the first one there and why yeah, not I, be the first one there
2: right yeah yes we you know we're some of the first ones there and as long as we don't get comfortable or complacent and we continue yeah. to evolve this experience as well our customers shouldn't ever catch us yeah um, and it, you know if we're doing this now and they're not getting this from anyone else in our market then this isn't a greed thing, but I, I mean, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it costs more money to offer an experience like that for a customer. Like it, it requires more training and investment and better equipment. And you got to pay your guys like it's, you know, pay, pay them more money uh, than your competition too. I mean, it's, it costs a little more to be able to add that kind of experience. So I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to ask, uh, customers who are a good fit for your business, you know, to kind of pay a premium price as well. I mean, you're, you're getting this level of of experience and service on top of a product that's probably going to last 10, 20, 30% longer than the competition's going to provide to you. Yeah. So, yeah. and if you can educate them, you know, if you can get people to listen to that process and give them a thorough education on what they're actually buying, then everybody's winning.
1: The The price becomes a no-brainer for them. Yeah. Um, when the ex- is, uh, it's the people will pay for an experience. Yeah. They absolutely will. And site superintendents will go to their PMs and say, oh my gosh. And the PMs will yes. go to leadership and say, oh my gosh, it's an extra this per but. You know, it's an extra this, but we have to have this and it becomes a new standard. So you brought up an interesting, um, you know, about culture and your people. And I think it's very important for us to talk about that Mm because you've done so well with your team. What has been your most effective way of finding good help and keeping good help? That's a a loaded question.
2: (laughs) That is the magic question. And I mean, that's, again, that's something and i'm i'm so hard on myself about that because i mean that's probably the single most important thing that i focus on like if you're saying well you know what what kind of gets you out of bed in the morning what 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 do you fall asleep at night thinking about it? it's it's rarely you know money or or uh, our workload or our equipment or it, it's um, or our customers even it's are we are we doing everything in our power am i, am I doing a good enough job as the leader of this business to create and emulate the culture that I feel that our people deserve. I put a lot of pressure on myself with that because it's, because I think that's something in as far as we've come and as good as I think our culture currently is like, I mean, it's, it's almost like this weird obsession with me is like, how can we always get better? Like, or are we doing enough Mm -hmm. um, to promote and keep that culture? And that, you know, it it involves uh, it involves a ton of, Open and honest communication um, from your from your highest paid person down to the low. I mean, everybody's kind of got to be on a level playing field. We keep it simple, man. We try to hire the right people out of the gate. We almost go to the extent uh, during the interview process to talk people out of coming to work for us <laughs> because we I mean, we just try to be as transparent and open as we can about what what the expectations or standards look like. And I, and I don't think. They're not unreasonable. It's not like it's this, this is a dictatorship that when you come work for ADC Paving, that you're going to, your boots are going to be shy. It's not, it's nothing like that. It's, you know, it's 10 things that require zero talent, like being on time, being coachable, having a good attitude, come to work every day, don't do drugs. And it's like if you can do those 10 things, but you got to do those 10 things every single day. Um, and if you can do those 10 things, we can teach you the rest. Yeah. Uh, cause I, you know, I, I spent a lot of my earlier, uh, career, you know, hiring for experience because it's like, oh my God, I gotta have, cause I didn't know, enough. like I, I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know how to even, I couldn't even find where the key went in the paper. Yeah. Like, so it's like, I gotta hire people that know how to do this or we can't go to work. So I was always looking to hire skilled people. Yep. Because if I didn't, I knew that I didn't know enough or we didn't have enough people that could go out and actually make money during the day. Like mm-hmm. nobody can go operate this equipment. Nobody knows how to rake. Nobody knows yep. how to run this seal coating equipment. And um, and that took a while because I had to get comfortable enough and get enough key people around me to be confident that we could train people. So today I would rather, I would rather hire the right kind of person with absolutely zero experience and start them on a shovel and bring, you know, bring them up through the ranks. I mean,
1: yeah.
2: uh, there's a kid now that's running, that's running our paving operation for us. who uh, didn't know anything about this industry two and a half years ago. Yeah, It really is just find, finding the right people that fit in with your culture, that can do those 10 simple things that can mesh with the others that you've allowed to be uh, yeah. a part of this. Culture. You know, we're very protective of who we let in these doors. And yeah. Like, and like I said, like, I said, we try, we almost try to talk people out of coming here because we feel that it's so different. And so, and maybe it's just more evolved or, and maybe I'm just biased because it's ours. Like, maybe I'm just super proud of it, but like, I like to think, you know, that our culture is different yep. than most construction companies you can go work for.
1: That's interesting. I love that you're talking about this because we are in that transitionary period right now. So I'm selfishly going to ask you a few more questions on yeah. culture here, where we have spent so many years focused on experience only. So we yeah. have such a wildly experienced team. Like yeah. it, the work's going to be perfect. The execution going to be perfect, but the culture is not there. Yeah. And, and I'm starting to pick up on it and starting to have internal conversations of guys. We have so much expertise on this team, but we have no connection and no culture. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like to make that transition, you know, to where you're not, like you said, we've got 20, 30 year veterans in the industry
2: yeah. doing yeah. all
1: of our work. And Trevor and I, like you said, we had to do that. We had oh, yeah. to do that to protect yeah. the name, you know, our names yeah. are on the trucks and on the yeah. equipment. So we had to know it was gonna be perfect. But then you get to that point, like you said, where it's like, where's our culture? We, we've got no culture. We've got no young talent. We're not breeding the next generation. Like, yeah. yeah, yes, we've got a great, a lot of expertise here, but where's the fun and the connection. And like you're saying the culture that the customer senses on the job site. So. Tell me how you made that transition. What were the key things for you to start establishing culture within yeah,
2: your company? And, and your, your, your guys, you know, all these experienced guys that you have, do they work well together? I mean, do they, do they get along? Do they?
1: Yeah. I mean, they come, they do their thing. They want to go yeah,
2: home. You I, know? You. I mean that, that, you know, our business, it may be a little different. I mean, our, you know, our paving crews, a group of, you know, typically five to seven guys every day, day in and and day out working together kind of in the trenches. Um, and we, you know, we found when we had all these experienced guys, you know, they kind of all, they brought their, their own past experiences or baggage with them. So like everybody had a, had a different way. They wanted it. Like there was and, and although we had leaders and foremen out there, everybody kind of had an opinion or wanted to be the chief or, yep. and it was just counterproductive to, to getting through the days. It was just, it almost was unmanageable because of the ad, Almost, it, I think it's more of an attitude thing. This attitude they brought. I've been doing this 20, 30 years. You've only owned, you've been in this business for five. You don't have a, you know, you don't have a clue what you're doing. And, and I didn't, yep. I mean, right. I didn't, I mean, I really didn't but it just, it's, it's cancerous through the entire organization because yeah. it, it just creates a lot of resentments. It creates a lot of uh, just animosity. And it's just, it's almost you know, ego and a cockiness or an attitude that
1: Yeah.
2: at least we have found. Uh, and it, maybe it's just, you know, our town, our market that, that these guys that have been in the asphalt industry since, you know, they're in their teens probably. I mean, they, they think they've got it all figured out and it's, we found that it's very, it's very hard to, to build a, Cohesive, like a real true team. Yeah. With, with people that all kind of have that attitude and mentality. So it's
1: so you'll kind of take the cohesive, it, uh, the character of a of a person and, and the work ethic versus yeah. the talent or the expertise. I'll
2: take it all day. Yeah, now.
1: because you can train it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and the key to that is though, I mean the key is you've got to, you know, you, you have like you said, you've got to keep hiring experienced people and skilled people because you have a customer that you've told you're gonna to come do yeah. this work for. And we had, I mean, we had a bunch of turnover with that, but it's like, you've, you I think you eventually will start finding a, and it can just start with one guy, one or two guys that say, okay, they, they've got the experience and what they've also got, they're still coachable. They're still yeah. approachable. They're, they're, they check their ego when they come to the door, you know, when they come yep. to work it's like, you start just kind of, and, and then as, as the owner operator, um, general manager, whatever you may be in your own respective business, like you start learning enough to be dangerous, to know how things should be done, need to be done, what the production rates look like. And you're like, all right, you start taking these two or three people and then you start kind of weeding out the bad attitudes and bringing, you know, bringing in the kind of the fresh blood yeah, uh, that that you can, that you can mold. I mean, and I think that's it. I mean, we, we almost want to mold people to our culture than try to, force them, uh, into the culture.
1: Yeah. I think that's great. Like you're saying to take the the best takeaway that you just talked about is to take one or two people within the company to start to turn your culture and to make that transition and do things differently. You take one or two people, you know, our roll off manager, I I said, this is our last hire. That's been doing it for 20 to 30 years.
2: Well, you've
1: got the talent to train someone. You've, your dad was in the roll off business. You're, you've got the energy. Like I want young, moldable talent because they're going to do things your way. You know, the older guys don't like to listen to our new manager, Brian, who has a lot of innovative ideas coming straight from this office. So that is a great takeaway to not, and I've been a little intimidated, like, gosh, how do we transition this culture within the whole company? it's a lot and who's going to respond to it and who's going to like it and who's going to not like it. But what you just said is start with two guys, two guys or gals and
2: and and you, and you gotta, yes. Yeah. I love that. And you got it. You gotta be willing to accept that you're going to have to have some patience with us. Like we're, we're trading in these five experienced guys for five guys with very little to no experience. So it is going to be slower. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not going to get as much done in a day, but if you can look at it at, at owning your business, especially young people getting in that uh, this is a marathon and not a sprint, and you need to build the foundation first and yeah. take, you know, just have the put a plan together. I mean, don't do it blindly. Like you got to say, okay, we're production's going to drop 50% because we're taking time to train. Hmm. Can you know put a budget together and make sure you can manage, you know, what that really is going to look like from an income and expense standpoint. Yeah. That's and fantastic. You just have to advice. commit.
1: Yep. Just commit. That's fantastic advice. And really, like you said, one to two people at a time yeah. makes it, you yeah. know, attainable. It's possible. You're not going to cut into your profit margin too much there. So what right. qualities do you look for when you are hiring specifically?
2: We try to do our best at finding the true character, morals, and ethics of people as quick as we can. We're pretty slow in the hiring process. Like we, I mean, we really I mean, we'll let, we'll let, um, several people within the team interview these people Yeah, to really try and paint the picture to them, what it looks like, um, how we work as a group. And we're looking for, for ethics. We're looking for morals. We're looking for character. We're looking, I mean, honesty, uh, is huge. Um, I mean, our, our big three non-negotiables are, it's pretty easy. It's come to work every day. Don't do drugs and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you do any of those three, you're gone. Yeah. And, and I, you can look at people and when you're interviewing them and say, you know, can you do those three things? And you can almost tell by the look on their face, whether they believe it or not, Yeah. Or whether they can. And then we, we'll also something, and this is one thing that Brian taught me uh, in the interviewing process. You let, you let this person, you know, talk for 15, 20 minutes, tell you about themselves. And at the end of it, you say, all right, how, how much of what you just told me is actually the truth. And <laughs> you can read their body language and you, you know, you can b- between the, you know, we usually have two, three, maybe sometimes four people interview these people. Like in between between that group of people who are doing the interviewing, if, if one of us kind of caught a red flag or just a weird gut feeling, we'll usually yeah. pass on that person. Yeah. So we're very slow in the interviewing process. We're very transparent about who we are and what we expect. And, you know, that's it. And, and now that's easier said than done when you're basically fully staffed and you're not desperate to have. Right. I think that's a big, a big issue in, in most of the construction industry. Whatever trade you're in, is like, oh, my God, we have to have bodies to go do this work. But
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: I have found that, you know, over the years, I mean, we, we'd like to run a seven man paving crew. But if we don't have the right seven guys and we've got, let's just say, four it's almost easier to go out and more productive to go out with those four than to try to force another three guys that don't fit. That don't fit. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And I yeah. imagine your turnover rate is less because you take more time on the front end. It in is. the interview process. We still make mistakes. Like of we, course.
2: We've had a little more turnover this year than I anticipate. And actually with a couple key so folks. So have we. So yeah. have we. Um, so, so we have, I mean, trust me, we still get into some desperate uh, situations where we're trying to fill a seat um, where we probably should slow down a little bit, but yep. I'm here, you know, telling you what some of the principles should look like. And if you can follow those most of the time, you're usually going to be, you're going to yeah. be in a better situation.
1: Absolutely. Well, you're inspiring me. We're, we're hiring a driver right now. And so you're inspiring me to take a step back. I just, I found one, he's the most qualified yeah. Let's get them here, you know, quick, quick, quick. And then it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe we should slow down. Maybe we should look yeah. at a couple more candidates, ask a few yeah. more questions, listen to what they have to say about themselves and their experience.
2: So, yeah, you've got time. Been- I mean, we lost a guy this morning. Like we literally had all of next week's work already scheduled. So all we really had to do was instead of me rushing out to say, oh, my God, we got to have somebody before next week we just adjusted the schedule a little bit. Yeah. Like we said, you know what, let, let's, we can, we can navigate this. Um, yeah. let's just call a few customers and say, we, we may not get to you. Um, this is, and we're on, we told them and we told them this is exactly, we lost uh, a foreman today. I mean, yeah. We
1: yeah. We're
2: that transparent with our customers because we. that's awesome. Before. Yeah. I mean, that's I awesome. Tell them, I could say, you know, equipment broke down or the plant broke down or, our, but it's like, I mean, it's that those are the excuses that most contractors are going to give you. And nine times out of 10, it's usually, you know, false.
1: Yeah. I imagine your customers are, they, they have had that transparent experience with you from start to finish. They expect it and they really appreciate it, which is great. Tell me too quick with your team, you know, before we move on, how have your operational processes, because you're very focused on process and doing things the right way, benefited your team? You know, because I think people think good operations just helps the office. It just helps the profit margin. But how do good operational processes benefit the team? And how can other contractors start to build those out in their business?
2: We had a management meeting Tuesday uh, this week, and it's because we landed as much work in the last two weeks it was about 70% of what we did all of last season. We just got under contract in the last two weeks. And that affects everybody in the business from, from the administration office staff to the sales staff, to the project management scheduling department, salespeople and the crews, obviously. And in turn, I mean, we're, we're, and we're, and we're supposed to, we're we're planned to get it all done with the next 45 to maybe 60 days. So the amount of The amount of paperwork, the amount of phone calls, the amount of correspondence, um, that's getting ready to run through this office and through our equipment and through our crews. I mean, it's, it's almost going to be double what we're typically accustomed to. So,
0: um,
2: And I, you know, for, for years, you know, that like year we went from half a million to 1.2, there weren't any process. We just more than doubled revenue with zero processes in place. And that's why we had no idea if we had money or not, because Hmm. nothing was in place. I mean, it's absolutely critical that the processes are there. So, and, and that's part, that's part of slowing down to speed up too. the same, same as, you know working on the culture, um, these processes don't happen overnight and they're yeah. always evolving too. Like you're, I mean, uh, especially if you have good people on your team, they're always coming up with new ideas and ways of doing yep. things. Um, and if you don't slow down a little bit to get, you know, these processes and checks, standard operating procedures in place, mm-hmm. um, then it can create a bind in, anywhere in the system and yeah. anywhere that that system gets bound up. It's, I mean, it's a it's at the end of the day, it's going to affect the customer. We can manage kind of all the garbage on our end and it makes it uncomfortable and it makes it, uh, you know, and and people get, you know, you get angry and resentment's going and um, stress pressure and all that going when when the systems and processes aren't being followed internally either. So Mm it's, it slows down the whole chain at the end of the day. It's, it's putting unnecessary stress on people within your organization. And then your customer is eventually going to, it too. So
1: where would you tell a contractor who maybe, you know, he's, at, he's passed those three, first three, four years, right. Gunslinging, yeah. figuring it out. Where do they start? They have no processes. Where do you encourage them starting? Is it customer experience? Is it internally? Where did uh, you start and where have you found the best resources to establish good uh, processes? We, we
2: started internally yeah. because we, we knew we had to have it right internally before could offer it or that our customers would feel it Mm -hmm. like if we don't have if we don't have our stuff together then there's no way that they're gonna feel a good experience right so yeah and you almost you just have to start i mean we went from when i took over i mean we were doing all of our estimates and proposals on a on a carbon copy trip you know white yellow pink triplicate sheet we were handwriting and now now everything's digital and almost you know immediate internally and for the customer. So it's yeah. like, and that, and it, we went, I mean, I've been doing this 10 years. I mean, I bet we went through four or five, if not more different ways of doing that proposal process to where we are today. So, yeah. I mean, it's almost just, you You figure out, you know, where your gaps are, where the holes are, what's getting missed, uh, what's not being done well. And you, you just start, you just start building out better, easier ways to do things. Yep. yep. You almost just have to start I and mean, you, yeah. you have to be mindful of it. It takes a lot of communication between team members too, to, yeah. to, and be honest of what they need, what they're not, what information they're not getting, what, yeah. uh, what's falling through the cracks. Like you've got to, I think the biggest thing I can stress to contractors and I feel like our in, industries are so guilty of just not having an open line of communication with The entire organization. Yeah. Like it's pretty bougie, I think, of like owners and management to just sit around and have all these meetings and not at at least periodically including everybody. I mean, the whole company. I absolutely
1: agree. I think that's, you just nailed it. I think you nailed the, the biggest step to take is to start having internal and external conversations with your team. Yeah. What's your experience? What do you think about the customer experience? When yeah. you get to the site, do things feel ready? Do things don't yeah. not feel ready? What are you missing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that leads into a good, you know, start on where do, where do we need to start for processes? We've started finding holes yeah. in that open Absolutely. line of communication. And I think yeah. that's great advice. So tell me what has been the biggest challenge your company is working through at this time? You know, we're all experiencing great things for sure. Um, but then we're also all experiencing kind of just the post 2020 year scenario. What, what are the challenges you're working through now?
2: I'll be dead honest. The biggest thing that we are working through, we've, we've lost, we've lost now lost two of our, um, most veteran leaders in our company in this season. I guess both of which I didn't really see coming, um, both, both kind of just unique, strange um situations in their own regard. Um, So that's and and on top of that, we're we're gonna double revenue from what we did last year. So So it's like um, what? (laughs) Yeah. So that's I mean that puts pressure on everybody. Yeah. So I mean we're we're at a you know we're at a crossroads right now. It's like do we we've got we've already got more work on hand than we completed all of last year. Almost double what we completed last year already on hand. And it's like, we have a decision to make. Do we, do we pump the brakes a little bit and, and just navigate the best way to kind of get through that and maybe a little more, or do we want to keep the foot on the gas pedal and, and say, Hey, we're still going towards the goal that we set out to do. And it's, it's very open, again, open, honest communications and discussions with the entire team to say, is everybody still on board for this? Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. And, and you hope you don't have a lot of yes people sitting in the room. that are just saying, yeah, let's do it. Like, and I think if you've got a good culture of people that are open and approachable and trust the management and the leadership and the ownership that those conversations can be had. And yeah, the team is going to say, yes, we can do this. Or they're going to, or they're going to voice their concerns and opinions about we may, you know, maybe not, maybe, you know, yeah. is there another alternative? So
1: I think um, you just addressed the best way yeah. to combat any company challenge is communication. And it yeah. sounds so cliche, right? Oh, but yes. it's genuinely yeah. like, okay, open communication of guys, the margins weren't great on the roll off business last uh-huh. year. What do you think about that? Like, how do we Fix that and then let everyone in the room, not just like you said, be yes, people are are your communications with your team just yes, 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 or is it what, when, why, how, you know, I I just I love your approach to challenge there. And I think that's really a take home for anyone listening to this podcast addressing any challenge in life is where can I communicate more to get to the bottom line of what we need
2: to do next. I mean, what, what, I mean, what, what is typically the cause of, or the solution to, you know, issues in your marriage or, you know, it's, you haven't haven't slowed down enough to even talk about what's, you know, and it builds resentment and.
1: Yeah. Kevin, I've been so impressed with your leadership style and how you lead your team, how you lead your company, really how you led your family into this decision of taking over this business. So, I want you to describe your leadership style and how you approach leadership on a day-to-day basis.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I think, um, I think I'd think i like to look at my leadership uh, approach as kind of being the best coach I can be to every single person that's on the team. And that's, I mean, that's, it's not, it's not asphalt or seal coating or, or site work, you know, truck, whatever we do every day that gets me out of, out of bed every morning, as much as I do love uh, everything about our industry, I really have a passion for it. The number one thing that gets me out of bed every morning is an opportunity to be able to coach my team. And I think that also, I mean, that, that helps us not only establish the culture, but you've got to have a mindfulness about that um, to maintain the culture. It's one thing to establish the culture and it's a whole nother ball game to, to keep it and to keep evolving it because almost the moment you, and I've been guilty of it. I mean, because, you know, there'll be excuses that, you know, we've been too busy or I've had to go run the paver or I've been out you know, I've had to, I'm wearing all these hats and like, uh, you know, we all get busy and it's uh, we can lose, can lose focus on nurturing, you know, the culture of our businesses. And it's for me, it's being available for my team and being the best role model coach uh, support system Friend, I mean, whatever you want to call it, to to every you know, from again from the lowest paid guy to the most experienced, um, you know, valuable team on the person that like we've all, everyone in this organization plays a role. Like it, awesome. it takes every single one of us to do what we do every day. Yeah, um, and just being present and being being a coach and just being there for for our people.
1: I think that's an awesome approach to leadership is being a coach. And my question is, and and it has my wheels turning like, okay, how could I do better there? My question is, how do you keep yourself full, right? When you're coaching so many people, like what are the, what are the things you do as a leader to make sure like I'm full? I've got, I've got to give, I've got enough in me to give. Do you have coaches in your life? Do you have people that mentor you? Kind of how have you maintained being able to be a coach?
0: That's
2: a great team. question. That's, a, and, and typically when I'm, when I'm failing at being a good coach or a leader or uh, engaged or as present as I should, you know, now I'm not, I'm here every day, not present. I'm talking present mentally or
1: yeah.
2: uh, uh, emotionally is, is when I'm not pouring into myself enough because, mm-hmm. you know, the tap kind of runs dry. You're, you're giving, and giving, and giving, giving. And it's like, what's filling me back up to be able to do that. So it's, I do still have, um, a mentor here that I, that I deal with. I still talk to, uh, to my cousin down in Atlanta quite a bit. And then their group and the friends that I found within TCS, you know, especially, you know, top contract school, well, especially within that inner circle. Like, yeah, what a um, great we lost, we lost the foreman, you know, this morning and I've talked to three of those guys already today and it's, I'm, I'm already, I'm like, all right, we got this. We're, we're on to the next thing now. Yeah. next man up. So it's, yeah. Uh, you got to have a support staff because yeah. you can't, you cannot do it on your own um, uh, as much as you think. Uh, and, and a lot of us leaders and entrepreneurs are guilty of, you know, thinking we're superhuman. Uh, we, we have emotional needs. We have um, psychological, mental, physical needs that need to be met ourselves yeah. and yeah. pouring into other people. And, and a, 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 aside from my, my close group of, of friends and mentors, um, a, a big one for me is, is making sure that I'm, I'm getting my exercise. And and for me, that looks like getting out in the woods and, and running. Yeah. Um, like I can escape when I'm out there. I, I, I don't know. It's just, I connect with nature and I get out there and I actually have time to think my own thoughts because yep. us leaders do like we're, it seems like we're always doing the thinking for so many other
1: people
2: all day long. <laughs> yeah. I was like when's the last time I thought my own thoughts
1: for myself?
2: <laughs> for myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's no. where your creativity comes from. That's where your passions come from. So
1: Absolutely. I think you just you hit a few great points, you know, that it is important to be a part of a group, a part of a mentorship group. I know I'm a part of the inner circle with top contractor yes. school and Brian Hess as well and and you just learn so much from other peers who are yeah. not in your space. You're not competing. You're just supporting and helping each other. That is very important for leaders to not let leadership be lonely for you. Cause that's a yeah. choice you make as a leader. Either uh-huh. you allow it yourself to be a lonely leader, or you choose to find peers and mentors and people, but to getting out into nature oh, and true. just being by yourself. I think you also make that choice as a leader. Am I stressed and just too much going on I get to choose if I go have that quiet time or not. Cause you can't be creative if it's not quiet. That's just. Yeah, and, and
2: you gotta, and you gotta realize that some of the, you know, some of those things like that, you know, and sometimes I'll do that during the work day. And like, yeah. I know a lot of leaders like, you can't, you can't just go take an hour during the day to go run. I'm like, I will be better serving my company, my family, great. Uh, our customers. If I do take that time, it, you know, however you may interpret that it looks like I'm off, you know, not working, I guarantee you when I come back from that, that I'll be five times more productive and focused uh, than if I, than if I were to take that. And then it it's snowball. You don't know, give Absolutely. yourself that stuff. Um, it, it gets very lonely.
1: Yeah, but, it can, it can for sure. And I've, I've allowed myself to get there as well. And now okay. my big push is I'll never do that again after 2020. I'm not going to allow myself to not have connection with that's other big. leaders and peers yeah. because that's yeah. how you get through You're not going to quit you'd rather not quit as a team, right? With other yeah, people. So absolutely. you I'm so glad you talked about that. Tell me your top goal in the next five to 10 years as a company, you've done so well in the last 10, you took a failing company that was bleeding money. You made it, you you learned your first million dollar lesson in the first year that you could make a million and and not make any
2: money. And lose a hundred.
1: And lose a hundred. So you've pushed through so many lessons and trial and error. You've gotten to this 10 year point with a great team, great people. What are the next five to 10 years look like for you? What are, what's your top goal?
2: For me, it's it's uh, it's culture. I think it's to the point. I don't I don't know what else we could achieve. I don't know what else we could achieve. I mean, we can always lay more more blacktop. We can always put down more sealer. We can always hire more people. Like we can, um, yeah, you, know, you can always do those business things if if you uh, you know if you know what you're doing. And you know how to watch budgets and plan and make smart decisions uh, from an income and expense standpoint. But I. My goal is to evolve and create and continue to feed and nurture this, uh, the culture here, because, um, not only is that probably my biggest driving force, like we just talked about, but I, I realize how many lives that can impact if we can yeah. create that here and how yeah. much, um, we can do anything if we have great culture, I mean, yeah. anything. And a lot of the people in the, in these industries, especially, especially on the labor side have, I mean, honestly, I've come from nothing or very, you know, poor upbringings and, uh, you know, addictions and not very good education or, you know, whatever, whatever got them to kind of this career path to start, especially the young people that that we're actually looking for that that we want to train in this industry. I mean, you talk about being able to change the, the path and the trajectory of not, you know, you're breaking the cycle of what their ancestors have always been, you know, you change their life. And it's it's in turn going to change their children's lives, and probably their ch- you know you get the, you just get them in a whole new whole new path of living. I want to be able to pay our guys, and, and not not all of it's financial either. Just be able to provide to provide the resources, opportunities uh, within our organization, or or even getting somebody trained well enough to where they could go take on another career somewhere or start their own business. You know, just um, just continuing to to, I don't know that we'll ever perfect culture because again, that's something that I'm always questioning. Yeah. Uh, but just creating, creating the best space in uh, place that people can imagine to come be, able, because we're here more than, than we're with our families. I mean,
1: yeah. You're, you're um, together all the time and you just like literally hit me with the brick here of breaking the cycle of culture, not mattering, because yeah. what you just said is culture is what actually creates impact Right. Not you know right. you can give back right. to the community all day, but what sure. creates long lasting impact is is a good culture. But that also increases your capabilities as a company. If you want more yeah. production, you should want more culture. You should want a right. better, Absolutely. stronger, more supportive culture. That's connected yeah. to production and capabilities. Yeah. Not let's do more work. You could like you said, you can always lay right. more asphalt. You can always do all of that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm what about the culture? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then, you know, that these people, the, your people, they, they start to see that yeah, and they start yeah. to, but like they start feeling the impact of that and they're like, Oh my God, like you change, you start changing their mindset of how, how they live their life. Um, yes. How they teach their children, you know, to live, you know, how to, how to treat people, how to um, how to act, how to be polite. I mean, just these you know, general things, you see, we've got uh, one thing we do and we don't do it for, publicity or you know we um one of our guys it it's like oh if news news were to see you doing this you'd be all over the news you'd get all kinds of publicity and it's not for that but we carry um my wife actually man's uh, is in charge of this we get these gallon ziploc bags and we put um we call them houseless bags so we put socks waters um uh, hydration packs granola bars just some stuff for homeless people and like yeah. we put them in all our crew trucks or in our dump trucks and we encourage our folks to pass them out. If they see, you know, someone on the side of the road begging or, you know, whatever. So we're, we're encouraging and we're trying to, we're trying, wow. we're trying to be an example for our employees, you know, the best we can. That's I don't awesome. know, It's not always right. It's not always, uh, you know, what, what I do or what we do isn't always, you know, exactly what it should be, but it's, uh, just trying to encourage that kind of behavior.
1: Well, I think you're you're making serving rewarding in every capacity. You right, know? Yes. And when you serve others, it's rewarding. When you serve those in need, you serve the customer, you serve the family. And you, know, you brought up a good point, nothing's more rewarding than watching your team grow. And that's what I've been talking to Trevor about. Like, yeah. gosh, when they buy a new car, when they buy a new house, Man. when their kids get to go to this, it's just like, it's so yeah. fulfilling and rewarding. How do we serve them more? you know, and like, and get more out of them so they can improve their own life. And it all goes back to culture. And I think you need to do a culture conference or something, or if a a leadership conference is down the road, which maybe, maybe Uh, something's coming. I don't know. I hope that there's a platform for you to speak about culture, because I think it's just such a big missing piece in our industry that would make workforce not a problem. It's not a problem if if you truly have this culture that changes That's people's right. lives, that changes the community's life, workforce isn't an issue. So thank you for sharing these like super powerful principles. <laughs> I feel like the podcast was for me. I hope it was for no, everyone no. else.
2: <laughs> no, this, I mean, this, you know what, this is good for me too, because I, um, I speak these things because they're what I believe in. And not, I mean, yeah. I'm here to tell you, like, I don't, I don't do these right all the time by any, like, um, it may sound great right now because we're talking about it. and it it is what I believe and it is what we do very well, but it oh, it reminds me of yeah, it reminds me of my responsibility, like yeah, um, you can't have a good culture without being a good leader and a good coach. so this for sure. It's kind of rejuvenating. You know, we're we're halfway through the season. And people are you know starting to get tired and it's been stressful. we've had yes. some turn it's like, coach kevin coach your team
1: yes i i hope leaders listen to this and get that kind of reboost that they need to maintain being a good leader maintain coaching your team maintain improving your culture it's halfway through the year we're tired and i and i hope this inspires any field laborers or workers or potential staff members listening to this podcast to find companies with good culture because they'll never leave they'll stay in our industry uh, yep. They'll be here for the long haul. So thank you again. This was awesome. We like to end it with a fun little rapid fire round um, oh my just, to, just to go back, just to go way back to let's start first with what was your first job?
2: Probably, I don't know, 14, 15, yep. picking up hay, hay bales out of the field in my hometown of Woodford County. Wow.
1: You are truly laboring there. That was I was a farmer. I was a farmer (laughs) (laughs) preparing you well for this industry, right? What was, what was your first car after, you know, all that time?
2: Uh, It was a 1988 Chevrolet Beretta.
1: Okay. Burgundy
2: cloth interior. It was, it was sweet.
1: Burgundy was a thing. Um, If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing, Kevin?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, fishing, <laughs> professional fisherman, which I don't ever get to do anymore, but it's okay.
1: <laughs> Deep sea or freshwater?
2: I like freshwater. I like uh, stream fishing. I like I like, uh, I like hitting a smallmouth bass.
1: <laughs> Come on up to Minnesota, my friend.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. I Got know plenty it.
1: of lakes up here for you. Uh, yes. What song gets you pumped up in the morning?
2: Man, it's um, probably Yellow Wolf's Johnny Cash
1: okay
2: so that's why everything you know if you see our our stuff we got the black so um i kind of got a little johnny cash um aura about me i think that's fantastic you know my past you know why yeah
1: yeah. my daughter loves johnny cash it's her favorite yeah who is one person you wish you could have dinner with
2: um david goggins i would love to pick that guy's
1: yeah yeah what would
2: you ask him? I would ask him what the single biggest thing is to, to mentally to work towards unlocking that other 70, 80% of our brain's capacity that we don't use. I yeah. Oh,
1: that's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> that's, that's like, I mean, that's
2: like finding the, the matrix pill or what, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah.
1: What is your dream piece of equipment?
2: Oh, uh, Probably a Vogel uh, Super Spray twenty two hundred paver. I like it.
1: What do you predict will be the biggest disruptor for your business in the next five years? Me. I like it. It's
2: <laughs> 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 um, a great answer. Yeah. yeah. So I think. It, I think at the end of the day, it. Um, I mean, kind of have a when it's like you know next man up, so. Yeah. as long as, as long as I can control myself, my emotions and yeah. do things that help me be, uh, be the best coach I can be.
1: Yeah. And now where can people follow you and stay connected with you? Uh, online, offline events coming up?
2: I got you we- Online. We're at you know, websites adcpaving.com. And face- Facebook and Instagram, we're very active on Instagram uh, and Facebook. Those are both at ADC Paving. Uh, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, Kevin Gray, G-R-A-Y, or also uh, ADC Paving on LinkedIn, as well. And um, yeah, that, for the social stuff, that's where you can find us.
1: That's great. You're well worth the follow on Instagram. I love your videos.
2: <laughs> we You're try to pumped
1: up videos. It's they're so good and, and yeah. a great way to establish culture, right? Or yeah. some of the we try to be doing.
2: transparent, not not just for our customers, but we you know we hope that our team is watching that too. So that yeah, it gives them a little deeper look into who we. Who we yeah. are who we're trying to be yeah
1: and you also may or may uh not have an event we'll see how 2022 goes but uh world of asphalt is coming up in the spring and it sounds like yes. you won't just be there you could be a speaker could be,
2: could be a speaker yes yeah awesome. we've been asked to, to present at world of asphalt along with a couple other um uh, shows so ho- hopefully the the show circuit will
1: the shows will go carry on, on. The show must go on yeah so they can come visit you in march in tennessee yeah. I'm not in paving, but I'm coming to hear you speak. Come on, bring everything. You guys have some great leaders in your industry that would love to learn from, you know. We do.
2: Well, we're we're fortunate to have you as as a part of our inner circle group and, you know. We love uh, it. And getting some other contractors, you know, some other industries involved as well. So that's. Yeah. It's only going to, it's going to help all of us. We
1: we all help each other grow. Well, thank you again. I know you're a very busy guy. Your team's hitting you up on the phone like. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> He's,
1: this guy's got to get out in the field, but thank you again, Kevin, yeah. for your time. This was a great interview. I hope we can do it again, and uh, we'll see you in March at World of Basketball. Thank
2: you. thank you so much. It's been, this has been awesome, and really, really good talking to
0: you, Missy. And that's going to wrap up this edition of Con Expo Con Egg Radio. If you like the show and think other people should listen, too, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We'll be back next time with another great guest. Until that time, be sure to visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect for even more ways to connect with the industry.